Well, thank you, Brother Ivan. And again, we count it a real joy and real privilege to be able to share with you from God's wonderful and precious word. And uh, I believe uh, that all of the assignments that I have by far the best, uh, I really appreciate it. Before we get into our message, I just want to read a couple of verses out of Romans, the 11th chapter, beginning with verse 33. I'm sure they're familiar to most, if not all of us. All the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, through him, and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. That's really what it's all about, isn't it? We're not here to try and promote some pet doctrine of ours. We're here for one reason alone. That is to bring honor, to bring glory, and to bring praise to the creator of our universe. That he might be lifted up. That he might be exalted. That our focus will be upon him. And when the conference is over and everything else is said and done, each one of us may go away from the conference saying, don't we have a wonderful God? We just sang about his faithfulness. And we often sing, and, and we do sing as the songwriter has said, great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. But I have said so often, God is faithful to us because he's faithful to himself. He's faithful to his word. Amen. We have a God who cannot lie. Isn't that marvelous? Let's say we have a God who does not lie. We have a God who cannot lie. His absolute righteousness and holiness dictates that fact. And how we praise him for it. Creation. To realize that the creator has been willing to stoop down, to come down to this earth and go to the cross of Calvary and die for us. And uh, we'll never cease to praise him enough. I don't presume this afternoon to be able to overwhelm you with any wisdom of my own. I have not come to quote other men. Uh, my source is going to be the word of God. And, uh, and I'm sure that that's true in the hearts of everyone that has already spoken. The, the other materials have been used simply to show some of the positions of some of those who have written on evolution or those who have held to a, a theistic evolution position or uh, a day-year theory as far as their teaching was concerned. 
But I find that when we get into the writings of the apostle to the nations, the apostle Paul, that he looks at creation in a very practical manner. Not only does he look at creation and, and exalt God and exalt certainly the Lord Jesus Christ, but he sees the, the correlation, the relationship of creation, the creator with man. And I believe this is what we're going to see in the, the study that we have this afternoon. Uh, we have emphasized the fact that the God who is the creator of the universe, the God is who is the creator of all things, is someday going to bring man into judgment. All of mankind. And I remind myself, I do believe in a creator. And I realize with that faith and with that belief, I have a responsibility to him but I also have an accountability to him as well. That someday, I, who am a member of the body of Christ, through God's initiative and through God's work and not mine, I came as a sinner, born in sin, shapen in iniquity, to faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, God's Son, and God in his infinite wisdom and mercy and grace and love, united me together with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's true of every one of us today who are saved by the grace of God. And brethren, that's true of every believer, isn't it? Regardless of race, color, creed, regardless of denomination, it makes no difference. We are all members one of another. And how we thank God. We rejoice in the church universally, but we realize that the function of you and me as believers has to be in the local assembly for that is where you and I truly exercise what God has given to us in his word as members of the body of Christ. How can you be functioning as a member of the body of Christ if you're not a member of any particular fellowship or group where you can exercise those things too? How do you know how to love somebody that might not treat you well if you're not functioning around those or not with those that may not treat you that well, and certainly that is biblical. Well, Romans, the first chapter, as I often do, many of my messages begin to be formulated not in the study, not seated behind a desk, but oftentimes in the early morning hours when I'm laying in bed and the word of God is going through my mind and the Holy Spirit is taking certain truths and, and embedding them into my thoughts. And then after I get up, I'll try and go and put a few things down and, and begin to look at it. Uh, I have a book that I got from Ivan a while back by... Henry Morris on creation in, in the scriptures and in the New Testament. And so as I thought on what I would like to share with you, I thought I'd go and see what he had to say, and I found out that he and I were pretty much on the, the same thought pattern as far as what the scriptures have to say. 
In the book of Romans chapter 1, which is a very familiar passage to all of us, but this is what creation testifies of. And you'll notice at the top of the sheet there, the, the first heading I have is, they are without excuse. They are without excuse. In verse 18, we read there, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold down or suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. The invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, that is, his eternal power and Godhead. So through creation, man comes to the realization that indeed there is some power, some authority, some one or thing greater than they. And I say that because there are many in the world today who are worshiping a God that they do not know. And I like what Paul said when he was there in Athens as they had the, the inscription there to the unknown God. And I believe Brother Ivan mentioned that the other night or last night. And Paul said, I want to tell you about him. And how thrilling that must have been for the apostle. You say that there is an unknown God, but I want you to know I know him personally. More than that, he knows me. And I have this intimate, personal relationship with him. And I want to tell you about him. And so we find that through creation, there is the realization, there is the understanding, especially at this point in time, that indeed they knew God. They were not ignorant of the fact that there was a God. No matter where you go in the world, among perhaps what we would call the pagans, though we perhaps have more pagans here in the United States than anywhere else, but no matter where you go in the world today, you're going to find among the most primitive people, they worship some kind of a god. And I suggest to you today that evolution is not something that comes by nature or by natural understanding. Evolution is something that needs to be taught. I think God has put within man the intuitive knowledge that there is a God. And so if a person claims that there is no God, that they do not believe in a God, it is not something that has been within them, it is something that has been taught to them and that they have embraced and they have laid hold upon. In Madison, in Wisconsin... Uh, we find that we're in a very liberal area, and yet I marvel that being the liberal city we are, that on our talk show we have men like Rush Limbaugh. Anybody ever hear of Rush Limbaugh? <laughs> I thought maybe some of you had. And then recently they ha they've had a black man on, and I found he's quite conservative too. 
and uh, I was thinking about him. Uh, he said, you know, you go up to somebody and you say to them, how you? He said, it's hard for them uh, to, be, to be angry with you or not to talk with you. And so he's telling all of his black uh, friends and, and brothers and sisters, said, you want to get along with the whites, you want to get to know them, you just go up and say, how are you? And they're going to have to respond to you. And they're going to ask you, how are you? You know, And you can talk. And then we have yet another man on, on the talk radio too that's very conservative. And that, to me, is, uh, is uh, an amazing thing. Because we have a, a family in our town the mother's name is Ann Gaylord. And I don't know if any of you have ever heard her, or heard of her. But recently in our school, she printed up a circular to be sent home with the children. And the children, it was given to the children by the school, and they took it home, and what it simply said is, you can be good without God. And Ann Gaylord and her daughter and... Freedom from Religion Foundation. Well, nothing to do whatever with religion. And she is constantly, they are constantly battling to get things removed in our cities, in our schools. But she sent this paper home with the children. You can be good without God. But good by what definition? See? You can be good. But by what definition? What is the criteria for goodness? Anything that man thinks of in his own eyes is right. And I'm sure that that is what it would have to be without any concept of God. She wants freedom from religion. She may have that. But she'll never be free from God. Because the very air that she breathes, the very sun that warms her, the very universe about her cries out, there is a God. And the day is going to come when she's going to stand before Almighty God. But better than be too late then. Too late for her then to receive and respond to the, the love of God and the grace of God as revealed and manifested through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the creation of God cries out, speaks to man, there is a God. There is a creator of the universe. There is order in God's creation. But notice, verse 21, what a sad commentary. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, and I think you'll realize they go hand in hand. When man does not have a God, he becomes very unthankful. And there are some folk today who believe that they're just being here on the earth. We ought to be thankful that they're here and we somehow owe them a living and owe them a life. And uh, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became in vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. <clears throat> three times, and we'll not go into all three of them because time will not permit it, three times in our context here, man makes an intellectual decision. He is not ignorant. 
he makes an intellectual decision to turn from the true and the living God and to go his own way and to do his own thing. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. As someone has said in our conference, the fool says in his heart, not simply there is no God, but the fool says in his heart, no to God. I don't want God in my heart. I don't want God in my life. And that's the words, not of wisdom, but of a fool. The world by its wisdom knew not God. When the Russian cosmonauts went up some years ago and they were sailing around up there, their comment was, we don't see God up here anywhere. And somebody said, if you don't see God on earth, you'll never see him in heaven. <laughs> you see, but all of creation speaks to the fact speaks to the reality there is a God. But man made an intellectual decision. They knew God, but they glorified him not as God. And professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things and so on. And so we find creation declares there is a God. And when we look around and we marvel at God's creation, and for those of you who are out of the, outside of the city, and on a clear night you can go out and you can look and gaze up into the vastness of the universe above. Have you ever? I'm sure you have stopped to consider. We talk about stars being light years apart. Brethren, what is it from one end of heaven to the other end as far as you can I, I can see? There is no way. And that's what Romans 11 says. We can't comprehend that. We speak of eternity. Who of us can understand eternity? Who of us can understand God who is without beginning? I can't understand that. I believe it. Because all of the evidence is there. The evidence is there in creation. The evidence is there in the word of God. The evidence is, is there in the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who came down to this earth. And brethren, one thing man may try and deny. But they cannot deny the fact that almost 2,000 years ago. God visited this planet earth in the person of his son. The Lord Jesus Christ. All things were as they were from the beginning, not so. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. We beheld his glory, John says, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we find today that we're living in a world that is turning further and further away from God uh, message I heard recently on the radio, the, the speaker said, as far as righteousness and righteous living is going to is concerned, it is not going to come out of Washington, D.C. 
It's going to come through the church, which is the body of Christ. Brethren, that's where it has to come from. You know, though it seems like we're, uh, we're not accomplishing a great deal, the church, the body of Christ, is still a restrainer on this earth. So that as yet, the lawless one has not been revealed. The floodgates of iniquity have not yet been opened. And they will not and they shall not be as long as we're down here. But when the church, the body of Christ is gone, then, brethren, that time is going to come, but not now. And so the God of creation, and Paul shows that, and I think this goes back shortly after the flood. I think it's a time when the first kingdom on earth is established through Nimrod, when the Babylonian kingdom begins and as I understand the scriptures correctly, brethren, I believe that the harlot in Revelation is indeed Babylon, the city Babylon. I think the Bible makes that clear and states that precisely that way. Come, I'll show you the harlot, the great city, Babylon. And I believe it will be restored again. And God will once again judgment, judge it in final judgment in that day. I hear a lot of folk talking about the Antichrist. You know, a lot of folk are caught up with that. You know, good-meaning, well-meaning people, and they're so concerned about the Antichrist and the one-world government. And, and we understand that. We, we realize what's taking place in the world today. But are you aware that in the tribulation period, you're going to have two powers? Not only are you going to have the power of the Antichrist as he's seated in Jerusalem demanding the worship of God, you've got Babylon over in Iraq. And you're going to have the, the, the merchants of the world doing business with Babylon over there. Well, that's, that's something else along the way. But we find then that creation is there. Paul also looks at creation and, and shows that God created the first man. God created the only man. Uh, I should say the only man is, is the one that God created. Adam was the only one created. The rest of us have been born into this world. But look at me with, uh, at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And again, I appreciated Morris's book. Uh, Follow right along, or I follow right along with him, however you want to look at it. Now we're getting some practical things here. And I'm not only going to go here, I want you to, to look over with me a little bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, and I'll show you why. And some things the scriptures have to say concerning that creation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, and Ivan Bergener made mention of this also the other night. And, and uh, this to me is, is just tremendous. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. Uh, God created Adam out of the dust of the ground. And, and some say the word Adam means red or, or man. And God created man out of the dust of the ground. He formed man. I'm not sure how God did it. But the scriptures tell us he breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life. And that form of clay became a living soul. And from that moment on, my dear friend, I trust you realize 
that from that moment on, everyone that has ever lived on the face of this earth until the present time and in the future, every individual that has ever been born here on this earth is still alive somewhere in the universe of God. For us today, it's absent from the body and at home with the Lord, but for the unbeliever, they're held in a place of torment at this time of judgment, eventually to stand before the white throne and be cast into the lake of fire. That, to me, is sobering. Everyone that has ever lived on the face of this earth, and even those unborn babies that have been murdered are alive today. Perhaps not the best sounding thing, but someone has said the greatest evangelistic tool today is abortion. Don't think about that. If you believe that every child is covered by the shed blood of Christ until they reach the age of accountability, then every unborn baby that's killed is under the blood of our Lord. Something, isn't it? We were against abortion because God's against it. But I want to just say this, brethren. It's not enough just to see a baby come into the world. That's where our God-given responsibility begins. The Catholic Church may protest against abortion, but how many children are they sending to hell with their doctrine? And you need to be involved in reaching boys and girls for the Lord Jesus Christ. In our city of Madison, we have child evangelism. They struggle for enough money to go out and reach boys and girls with the gospel. Isn't that something? You bring them into the world. We've got a God-given responsibility to them. Not to let them go through life without ever hearing the gospel of salvation. God forbid. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And Adam became a living soul. And oh, what wonderful fellowship he and God must have had together. As God came and and he walked in, in the garden and he fellowshiped with Adam. A fellowship that you and I will, will never fully enjoy and appreciate until we're with our Lord someday. There was no sin there. Nothing to to rob him of the full fellowship of God. But it has been pointed out already. God had said up to that point that everything was good or very good. But here was Adam. He was all alone. All of the animals were there. He named all of the animals. Names perhaps God had already given them. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Look at 1 Corinthians 11. And if time allows us, we'll come back here some more. A beautiful chapter. 1 Corinthians 11. 
verse 8. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is dealing with headship, isn't he? And that's the, the, the truth he wants us to realize. I would have you to know that the head of every man is who? Christ. You know, men love to think of the idea they're the head of the woman. But listen, my dear man, you and I have a headship. And that headship is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I tell you this afternoon, if you will allow Jesus Christ to be your head, you're going to be a good head to your wife. You're going to be a good head to your wife. If Christ is not your head, you're going to have a problem. But go on. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. You think Christ lost out at all with God as the head? Of course not. Do you and I lose out when Christ is our head? Indeed not. Well, you think the woman loses out when the man is her head? No, no. And headship has to do with position, doesn't it? Rank and position. Some have a, a translation that reads some, something like this. The head or the boss of the woman is the man. Amen. That's right. I want you to know I'm the boss of this household and whatever I say goes. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you're the head. And as a head, you say to your dear wife, Honey, I love you so much. I'm willing to die for you. I love you so much that you can be sure of any decision I make, that decision is going to be for your benefit. You know what? She's going to do exactly what God created her to do. She's going to respond beautifully to you. Let's go on. In verse 8, the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but, uh-oh, women's lips got a problem. <laughs> Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Listen, ladies, we're talking about creation, aren't we? We're talking about, you know, we, we talk about God creating the sun, God creating the moon, the star. Oh, wonderful. But now we get kind of practical here, don't we? God created the man that the man might have fellowship with him, that the man might worship him, that the man might serve him, and God created the woman for the man. That they might blend together, that the two might become one. You know, sometimes you, you, you fall into a message that, that's much better than you ever thought you could prepare. <laughs> and I had a message just like that the other night on Sunday night. I have to give Herbert Lockyer the credit on all the women of the Bible. We talked about Aquila and Priscilla. You know that their names are never mentioned apart from one another? Do you know that? 
You talk about an example of wonderful relationship with one another. You have it in Aquila and Priscilla. They were one in salvation. They were one in purpose. They were one in a love for the word of God. And they were one in giving out the word. Apollos, the great man of God that he was, you know. Aquila and Priscilla heard him speak. And oh, how, how he thrilled their hearts. Uh, how he, he moved them. And, and you know how that can be done sometimes with a speaker. That they just have a, a way almost of casting a spell. And Apollos was this way. He was eloquent in the scriptures. He could give them out beautifully. And after he was all through, Aquila and Priscilla came to Apollos. said, Apollos, that was wonderful. Oh, how we enjoyed it. You blessed our hearts. You, you thrilled our souls with the word of God. But Apollos, there's something you need to know. There's something you need to You know, we have this friend of ours. He's a tent maker. His name is Paul. And you know, Apollos, he shared something with us. We want to share with you. Something about the grace of God. The dispensation of the grace of God, Apollos. What God is doing today. His purpose is not to bring into the kingdom, or bring in the kingdom, Apollos. His purpose is to build and edify the church, the body of Christ. We want to share that with you. What a blessing. But the woman was created for the man. And then it goes on to say, in verse 11, Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. In the Lord. Listen, you can never have one oneness in your marriage if you are married to an unbeliever. You know that? It's impossible, isn't it? That's why every young man that's looking for a mate Needs to be looking for some young lady that loves the Lord, shares the same desires and ideals that he has in spiritual things. And that young lady needs to be looking for a man, a young man that loves the Lord, that has a desire to honor and glorify him in his life. And if she finds a man like that, rest assured, she's going to be blessed. If a man finds a woman like that, she too will be blessed. Or he too will be blessed. A virtuous woman is of more value than all the rubies and the diamonds of this world. What about it, dear wife? Your husband make you feel that way? That's way you feel today? We were out in Denver, Colorado not too long ago, just after the 4th of July, to see our son Tim and uh, his wife, Beth, and their four children, our four grandchildren. And, uh, we've got a van. We bought an 85 van just for that purpose. We went out there. We could all ride together, you know. We wanted to be together. Well, the, the, the children really enjoyed it. They, you know, they had to run those curtains back and forth and the seats tipped back and forth. And uh, they were just having a, a great time doing this. And my dear wife, she, she knows what the kids like. They like Oreo cookies. And so she bought Oreo cookies when we went out there. And our little granddaughter, Crystal, and she's sitting there in one of the chairs, you know. She's 
tipped it back and forth and she's moved the curtains back and forth and she's got an Oreo cookie in her hand and she's got a can of pop there. She sits there and she says, I feel like a queen. (laughs) 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 Well, I hope, dear wife, your husband makes you feel like a queen. You deserve it. Isn't it a wonderful thing? I taught a class last Wednesday night as we introduce ourselves together, I think every one of them spoke of the marriage of some 20 years or more. You don't hear that too often today, do you? Especially not with the world of the unsaved. But what a blessing that was. And so we find that in creation, God created the woman for the man to be the completer of the man. And regardless of what the homosexual population says today, brethren, it is not God's purpose. It is not God's will, and it is sin, pure and simple, as, lo- as well as adultery, as well as fornication, as well as beastology, as well as anything else that has to do with perverted sex. It's sin in the book of God. Well, we could go over to 1 Timothy 1, 13 and 15. We won't. (laughs) Uh, Simply to say there, it simply states that the woman was deceived, not the man. The woman was deceived, not the man. You know why? Because, as I said earlier, a woman is a responder. Uh, She works, I think, a little bit more off of uh, emotions than does a man. I think my wife found that out uh, early in our marriage, that I wasn't always so emotional, but Thought, thought everything out, you know, and we go out to buy a refrigerator. I said, okay, that's a good price, but, you know, i got to check this place, and we go over there. i got to check that place, and we travel all over and probably end up back same place buying that refrigerator, you know. And she said, you know, when you die, I'm going to have written on your tomb, the thinker. <laughs> <laughs> By the time that happens, of course, we're looking forward to going together, you know, that's what we're looking forward to. We tried to reserve a cloud up there, but I don't know if that <laughs> reservation has been honored yet or not. <laughs> Maybe on my tomb, instead of the thinker, she'll come down there, the lover, you know. That, I like that a whole lot better. <laughs> but let, let's uh, continue on here. Romans chapter 5. You see, Paul is dealing with the, the practical application or the, the practical aspects of creation. Romans, the fifth chapter, again, continuing with this this first Adam. The first Adam was made a living soul. The the second Adam is the Lord from heaven. And again, as was mentioned already, as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Let me tell you this, my dear friend. Flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. 
You know that verses, those verses are true only for the church, the body of Christ. Did you know that for Israel, flesh and blood will inherit the kingdom of God? Because God's going to make a new covenant with those who come out of the tribulation without dying and they'll go into that kingdom in flesh and blood. They're going to have children. Not so with the body of Christ. When our Lord comes, we're all going to be changed. I'm going to be good looking again. <laughs> You ever look in the mirror and wonder what happened? That young fella used to look back at you. Face sags a little bit more and so on. But notice Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Did Paul believe in creation? Oh, absolutely. Verse 12 simply states here, Wherefore by one man sin entered into the world. God doesn't blame Eve. Adam was the federal head of humanity. Oh, the Lord came to Adam. You know who he blamed. Adam, where are you? Think God knew where Adam was? Of course he did. Brethren, you can never hide from the omnipresence of God. If I ascend into heaven, David said, Thou art there. If I descend into shield, you're there. There isn't anywhere man can ever escape the, the omnipresence of God, but man can leave the personal presence of God. Didn't blame, God didn't blame Eve. Adam, where are you? Lord, it's the woman you gave me. She's to blame. What about it, Eve? Oh, don't blame me, Lord. It's the old serpent. You know, we've learned that pretty well, haven't we? <laughs> We're living in a society today where nobody's, it's nobody's fault anymore for what they do. Oh, judge. I know what it did was wrong. But you know, one day I came home from school and my mother didn't have a treat for me. Oh, my poor boy. And the world today is trying to find excuses for what they do. And our system today is behind it. But God said by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. That's true of every one of us here today. I'm looking at a lot of people out there that are dying. You're looking at a man up here that's dying. I hope not for a little while yet. <laughs> But we're all in the process of dying, aren't we? And so death came by Adam. And Paul goes back to the created Adam. God created Adam. Created man after his own likeness, after his own image. God breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life. Man became a living soul. That's thrilling. And then God created Eve for Adam. What an amazing thing that must have been for Adam. See, he only looked at all these animals. Boy, there's nothing out there I like. And he wakes up, and here's this beautiful woman. There she is. And I'm sure at first Adam said, Well, thank you, God. You know, she is okay. <laughs> I said, 
some time ago in church, you know, that as we get older, our wives get more beautiful all the time. And one young fellow nudged his mother, and he said, I know why. She said, why? He said, when they get older, they can't see so well. <laughs> Thank you for nothing, huh? <laughs> the fall of man, and every one of us are reaping that reward. Sin is working in all of us. But praise God, God didn't leave us that way. We have a wonderful God. He saw the need of man. And and verse that we quoted a little bit earlier in our discussion period of time, when Peter writes, he says, Jesus Christ was God's lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. Brethren, when Adam and Eve sinned, it didn't take God by surprise. Isn't that right? God knew beforehand and before sin ever entered in, God had already provided the sacrifice. He provided the remedy. And Adam and Eve, he thought she was going to bear that, that man-child that would become the savior of the world. The scripture reveals later on it wasn't going to come through a married man and wife, but a virgin would bear a son. And how thank, thankful we are for that. You know, the Roman Catholic Church talks about the miraculous birth, don't they? Or the immaculate conception. I, I trust you realize they're not talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, but Mary. Not talking about the Son of God, but the way Mary came into the world and how sad their thinking is because even Mary recognized that she needed a Savior. Well, brethren, just quickly, let's go to Colossians 1, 16, 22. Now, I don't have to spend a lot of time here. They've already worked this one well. Uh, I must confess, they said much better than I could have ever said it anyhow. And I thank you, gentlemen, for, for doing that for me. Appreciate that. And I mean that sincerely. I'm not trying to be facetious. They've done a beautiful job on Colossians chapter 1. So we have... Creation, man without excuse. We have the fall of man, Paul dealing with creation in his epistles. Now we have the remedy for man. Things created. Listen, Jesus Christ was not the first one created. And then he created everything else. By him were all things created. John says, without him was not anything made that was made. The Jehovah Witnesses will come and say, oh yeah, we believe that Christ is the creator, but God created him first. The Bible doesn't say that. All things were created by the Lord Jesus Christ. And brethren, don't we need to understand who the Lord Jesus Christ is? You know, it's wonderful to hear people say, oh, dear Jesus, but I'm afraid they're thinking of that earthly Jesus instead of our exalted Savior. 
They're still looking at the Jesus who was here on the earth instead of looking at the risen, resurrected, glorified, seated Son of God at the right of the Father, ever living, to make intercession for you and for me. And someday, with a shout, he's going to call the church the body of Christ up and the dead in Christ shall be raised first. And then we which are alive and remain caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air that we might be forever with him. Pastor said, my church will be the first in the resurrection, first in the coming of Christ. He says, I can prove it from the Bible. Fellow said, how can you ever prove a thing like that? Well, they said, the dead in Christ will rise first and my church is as dead as they come. You know? So he was fully convinced that his church was going to be first there. Well, if that's the criteria, I hope our church is last. <laughs> In Colossians 1.16, I'm just going to call your attention to verses 21 and 22, and we're already a few moments over here, and I apologize for that. And you that sometimes were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, listen, my dear friend, there isn't one thing that separated you and me apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Some folk have said, oh, you know, I want to tell you about what an awful sinner I was before I was saved. I said, my dear friend, you weren't any different than I. Maybe you did things differently. But my Bible tells me all of sin. All have come short. There's none righteous. There's none good. And I tell you, that's a hard pill for people to swallow. They don't like that. My son's daughter's mother-in-law, there, you see my son and daughter married a, a daughter and son, is that way it goes, something like that. And uh, when she was come to our church in Genoa City, and I said, priest that way, I still preach that way. She said, I got so mad at you, I would have liked to push those words right back down your mouth. None good. I may be bad, but I'm not that bad. Not what the Bible says. You and I were there, my dear friend. I get afraid when somebody asks somebody about their salvation. Say, well, I always believed. From my very earliest days, I was always taught I've always been a Christian. I like to ask them, when did you realize you were lost? Hmm? When did you realize you were lost? Because if you don't realize you're lost, how can you ever understand what salvation is all about? We were all lost, weren't we? Ephesians 2 tells us we were all dead in trespasses and sins. You know something? When I was saved, when you were saved, it was a resurrection. I wasn't born again. Excuse me. I was resurrected. Now, if you want to use the term born again, I understand. Perfectly all right. But Paul talks about a resurrection. And so we were enemies in our minds by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled how in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. 
Man was without excuse. God was the creator. The universe cries out, there is a creator. Oh, there are so many other passages here in, in this whole section in Colossians 1. Jesus Christ is the sustainer. He's the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. But he was willing to go to the cross of Calvary and there shed in, uh, die there and shed his blood for you and for me that we through his death, entombment, and resurrection might be reconciled unto God. I needed reconciliation. I was estranged from God. I was lost and guilty and condemned. But the love of God constrained the Apostle Paul because he saw that if Christ died for all, then all were dead. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. I, I trust you understand this afternoon that reconciliation is only for those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ Jesus the Lord. The message of reconciliation, or as I like to say, conciliation was preached in 2 Corinthians 5. When man heard he needed reconciliation, he put his faith and trust in the finished work of Christ. And now we have in Ephesians and Colossians a reconciliation. God's will has always been in the administration of grace for man to be saved. We plead, we beg with men and women today, receive the reconciliation. Let's bow our hearts. Heavenly Father, we end where we began, that you alone might be lifted up, honored, and glorified, along with your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You have told us in the Word that if we honor the Son, we honor the Father. And if we honor not the Son, we honor not the Father. Thank you now for the patience of each one. But thank you also, Father, for the working of the Holy Spirit of God as he's taken these truths and just embedded them deeper into our hearts and into our lives and into our minds. Having said all of this, Father, help us now to live like children of God. In our Savior's name we pray. Amen. Well, we'll have uh, time for a little few questions here. We're in good time, brethren. So what uh, what questions do you have for Brother Baker here? At the yes. back. Well, I, I think what was said the other evening concerning thrones and dominions, principalities and powers, uh, I think that's there. But when we talk about the truth of reconciliation that Paul is driving home, he's driving home this truth of reconciliation to men and women. You have to reconciled those who were estranged, those who were dead in sins. And so that's really the emphasis he's placing here. Showing that Christ is the creator of all things, Christ is the sustainer of all things, has reached down to this earth ultimately to reconcile man unto himself. Because the universe eventually, that is the world, the earth we live on, has been talked about before, is ultimately going to be destroyed again. This earth is not permanent. 
We often sing, the world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Well, I thank God we can already enjoy those treasures now, can't we? I have to wait to get to heaven to enjoy them. I was thinking specifically in verse 20 about the reconciliation of all things. Mm-hmm. You, you looked at it being the all things referring back to the principalities and powers and heavenly places and all so on. Well, I, I think what they pointed out the other evening that this has not so much to do with the creatures but rather with the positions, with the authority. Because, uh, you know, there's no place in scriptures where Satan or the angels, fallen angels, are ever reconciled. But there's no place in scriptures either where man, apart from today, now is the time when man either accepts or rejects the gospel. When they face the white throne judgment and they're cast into the lake of fire, there is nothing in the Bible that ever teaches any way out from the lake of fire. When they're there, they're there for eternity. I'll tell you, when, when you realize what has gone on over in Rwanda, in Zaire, that overwhelms me. When I read and, and hear of, of literally thousands and perhaps hundreds of thousands that have been put to death, I say, Lord, there's so many. There's so many. And perhaps most of them dying without Christ. That overwhelms me. And as we look around today, it, it should drive through our cities and towns. We're talking, when we talk salvation, if 10% of the people that you and I are, are living around are saved, I would say that number is, is just about it. I mean, that means 90% of the people that you and I come in contact with are yet without Christ. I think of what Paul said, who is sufficient of themselves? Not I. Not I. And our message becomes a savor of life unto life and death unto death. I tell you, brethren, being in the ministry is an awesome responsibility. 